listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Indeed, welcome to the show. It's the Frat Files Podcast, the guitar tech podcast. You know, guitar science. <laughs> my name's Eric Daw. I'm a longtime guitar builder and repairman, and my co-host today is the lovely <laughs> Nat. That's what I like to hear. Howdy, Nat. Hello. Well, Hi. Welcome to the show. Gosh, I am glad to be back, and it, I'm thrilled that it's kind of a winter edition. It is. Oh, Win- definitely. Winter has, I mean, I see my line that I do a bad job of saying every time. It says greetings, mm-hmm. and it's seasonal greetings because it, does, it was yeah. snowy out there. It is very seasonal. It was. Greetings. Seasonal. I will read the listener submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional mm-hmm. luthier. Try is the British word yeah, there. I like, I like to change the emphasis on that quite a bit. <laughs> What's on your bench lately, Eric? Man, I'm finally, I feel like I'm making a little bit of headway finally. Oh, it that's got to be, be, yeah. November? I, I know one of the things, yes. November was a <laughs> loss, man. That's not a good feeling for you. Between being sick and a bunch of funerals and mm-hmm. my kids being out of school for a week, I just... My wheels were spinning, but I wasn't getting anything done. Yeah. But I'm back. I'm trying to crank out the repairs and the builds and the pickup orders. Yeah. I've been shipping out books. Solid sound book. I tell you what, I am so proud of this little book. This, <clears throat> I just want to add, this book I would fit, I would think, in most Stockings. Well, that's exactly what I was. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm. I hope people have wide enough stockings. You know, don't have like actual socks. Or you could wrap it. You could wrap uh, it. What I'm trying sure to say is, a good stuffer. SolidSoundBook.com. It makes a great Christmas present for the guitar-minded person. Oh heck yeah! On your shopping list. It really does. So that's that. Uh, but what's on my bench lately? I have a custom color. Very custom color offset. Oh yeah, that's a big deal. Guitar that's almost done. I would call that's it. That's a would big deal. Call it a JM. You know, model the master mm-hmm. of the jazz. Yeah, I mean, all the best jazz guys play them. <clears throat> yeah, right. isn't that right? No, no, that's too bad. No, well, but you know, if you listen to the show, you know that I have a long history of distaste for that particular yeah. model of guitar. Not that mm-hmm. I. I love the way they look, but they're a bit plunky. So I'm just trying to make the best version of one that I can. We'll see how it turns out. I'm excited about the way it looks so far. I'll tell you that much. 
Gosh, they do look great. Now, did Sherwood do... Green. Oh boy, Sherwood Green. That's not. Gosh, that's that not a famous great. blues musician. That's a color. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember you did that once. <laughs> it wasn't even a Halloween show. It was really good. Fiesta Red had. Because Tampa Red was a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fiesta Red is not a guy. It's a color. Yeah. All right. Could have been. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited about that guitar. Yeah, me too. What else is on my bench? Oh, I have a bunch of, I have a few vintage guitars that I'm refinishing. Oh. Which, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a labor of love. I, I spend way more time on those than I can even charge for. So. This mean I own one of, one or more of them or. Hmm? You might, I might own one or more of them if it's a more than you can charge for in labor of love. Not, not extrinsically. Rewarding. Am I working on a guitar of yours? I, I, there is one over there. Yeah. What? It's in the list. A big old harmony jumbo. Oh, I'm not refinishing it though. No. Yeah. No, it needs a neck reset. Yeah. That'll well, get done. That's pretty finishy to me. No. It's a big deal. No, I mean finish as in lacquer. Actual finish. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, no, your Harmony Sovereign's on the list. It's oh. slated for 2024. Yeah. For sure. That's great. That's, you know, so. I feel better about the even years. I really do. Do you? I got a strange feeling about odd years. What? I don't, they don't look right. Do you really? Yeah, I don't like them. I was born in an even year. I, so was I. Yeah. I have, wait, are we two years apart? No, we're about probably less than one and a half. I was born at the very end, and you were born at the very start, weren't you? Of 76, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I was 72. That's the spirit. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I thought you were like 74. No, man, that's like, we still had... We're four years apart? No, that's not possible. I don't know, you do the math at home. (laughs) I guess we are Uh, three or so. It's funny that you should say that about even and odd numbers. It's this weird personality quirk that I have. When I'm adjusting the volume on my television... It shows me a number, like the number, the level the the volume is yeah, at. in digital or whatever. 12, 13, 14. Uh-huh. It bothers me if it's an odd number. I have to leave it on an even number. Yeah, so if I'm turning right. it down a little bit and it's on nine, I either have to go up one to 10 or yeah. down one to eight, whatever's, I can't leave it on an odd number. Nice even units. Now, yeah. what is that? What kind of psychological weirdness is that? It's numerology stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's kind of like the meaning, you know, odd has a meaning, even has a meaning. And they're very similar to left and right in Latin, which is dexterous, which is like um, right also comes from. So we have dextra and sinestra, like sinister is left-handed and dextra is your dexterous hand is right-handed. You've lost me already. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling. But right means... Straight and true, like judgment. and yeah. But sometimes odd is right. Like I was looking at, uh, I was just thinking about mistletoe. There, and, <laughs> you know, we were decorating for Christmas. Yeah. But there's oh, of kind of this leaf that has three partitions and then three little berries, right? Oh, yeah. It man. wouldn't look right with two berries Mm-mm. or four berries. Ed Schroeder. It has to be three. Yeah. Art teacher told us that. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it stuck with me. So odd numbers is good sometimes, but, you know, you think about guitars, there's six strings, that's an even number. Basses have four strings, it's an even number. I think it's odd numbers in arrangements, great. Odd numerals, not okay. Hmm. 
That's a weird distinction. Yeah, I know. Why did? Why are we talking about this? We Mistletoe. were trying to talk about oh, what what's was on, on your... my bench. Yeah, and we got far afield. It's too bad. Well, we'll just somebody will edit this. Just, just an odd number of pickups. You know what I finished yesterday? Somebody sent me, it was a, a shop in Seattle, somebody sent me four vintage Rickenbacker pickups to rewind. Oh, wow. Is that, that hard? Uh, well, the hardest part about it is affixing the pickups to my winder because... Yeah. Typically, I'm winding, and Nat as well, because Nat winds pickups in my oh boy, shop I, quite a bit. Do I ever. Uh, we're usually doing fender pickups. Now, I have a real system worked out, where because if you look at a fender bobbin, there's a hole in the middle of the pickup. Purpose. Yeah, yeah. and I have a little screw and a washer and a nut, and that thing just bolts right to the plate. And it's easy as pie. It's not going anywhere. Once you once you tighten that nut down, that pickup is affixed. Well, a lot of pickups, like, for example, these Rick pickups, they don't have a hole. So it's tricky to mount those to my pickup winder. So what I usually use is double-sided tape. Yeah. What else could you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you... Uh, Double-sided tape affix that bobbin to the plate, and then put the pedal to the metal on the on the on the gas there. Yeah. It's, there's a sewing machine pedal hooked up to this motor, and you floor it, and that thing starts spinning like super fast, and it'll fling. Yeah. <laughs> if it comes unattached, it'll fling the bobbin across the room, and it'll hit the wall. Forty-three gauge wire, and it breaks the wire. Yeah. So it's tricky. So I have to wind them slow. Huh. Which I don't think affects much. As I was winding it, I was thinking about how, like when they cut a record, they'll do like a half-speed master, mm -hmm. you know, or they'll press the records at, I don't know, how they, something about yeah. it being half-speed and it gets a better sound quality. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that's about? Do you I know think what I'm it talking would have, about? it would have less error because it could follow the groove it could cut a more accurate groove yeah so winding a pickup slowly do you think i don't think it affects the sound it would be a function of the how much how tightly you can get that wire packed yeah. on there because of a momentum type of thing you know this thing's turning as the wire is still arcing a little bit through the yeah. air how tight the wire is and yeah. also how the pattern of, you know, because I wind by hand, moving my hand back and forth, it's going to be different depending on how fast I go. So I had yep. to wind those like half speed. I wonder if that does affect the sound. It would probably affect how tight. I would I would guess that the tighter, it wouldn't fling the coils out too much. I think it would pull as it's spinning with more force mm -hmm. and then make it a little bit tighter. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. It's nuances either way. It's pretty fun. Well... I had a bit of guitar news lined up, but I feel like we've done this before. Have we talked about this? Expensive guitars? My lovely girlfriend, Lauren. Yeah, she's pretty sweet. I know. I'm. Yeah, I lucked out. She sure is a bright spot. I know. I lucked out. Uh, she was asking me about what's the most expensive guitar. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I, I came up with what I thought my answer was, you know, which was... Uh, Probably 
a Gibson Corina Flying V. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Turns out I was wrong. Because I thought, well, I actually don't know. I, I'm going to look it up. So I did. I looked it up. And uh, only a week ago, Guitar World published this article. And that's why we're going to do... Guitar News. A little guitar news. <clears throat> that was great. Oh, thank you. The 14 most expensive guitars of all time. Do you have any guesses for... The, these are guitars that sold at auction. Well, they would have to have association with famous dudes. Very good, yeah. So do you have any guesses for any guitars that are going to show up on this list? They would also have to have association with guys who have a lot of money liking said famous oh, dudes. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. So I don't mean to offend either of those groups, but Eric Clapton yeah. association. <laughs> Number 14, Eric Clapton's Blackie Fender Strat. Yeah, that's probably a good guitar. It sold for $959,000. Yeah, and that yeah. also had like some charity tie-in thing. Yeah, you know? I'm sure it did. So that's part yeah. of it too. That sold in uh, at auction in New York, 2004. Whoa, it'd be worth a gazillion now. But it's at the bottom of the list. Yeah, well, it hasn't changed hands. Number 13, Bob Dylan's 1964 Fender Strat. Is that right? Yeah, it sold that for recent? Uh, only slightly more, 965000 Holy sold cats at, and dogs. Sold at auction in 2013. Whoa. Yeah. On At number 12, David Gilmore's Martin oh, yeah. D35. His Martin acoustic guitar? You know, that surprises me, uh, but I guess it's, you know, it's probably, I, I well, let me look. Yeah, this, this guitar appeared... On Wish You Were Here. That say no more. Yeah. Done deal. I mean, that's Give a, pretty, a million bucks for yeah. it right now. Yeah, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big hit. Yep. It sold in 2019 for one million uh, ninety-five thousand. Dang it! Yeah. And see, yeah, more recent than the 2004 <laughs> Blackie. Yeah. Number eleven, Dwayne Almond's '57 Gibson Les Paul. Well, and that has. Man, that has a lot of intrinsic value for yeah. what those things are going for. And that's a and a way cool dude too. Cool yeah. guy. Without the Dwayne Allman uh association, this would still be a valuable guitar, but Heck not yeah. anywhere near the one million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that it sold for at auction Gosh, in man. Dallas in two thousand nineteen. Whoa. Number ten, another slow hand guitar, Eric Clapton's Gibson SG that was painted by the Fool. Yeah, that's the name of an art collective or something, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah. It's a very colorful, uh, kind of psychedelic. There's like a winged creature, a winged, like a cherub. Yeah. And some, uh, you know, it's stars. A tiny bit clown pukish. I like it. Um, did he ever actually play that thing? Oh, yeah. Did he? Did he shred on it? Oh, I'm I'm sure. I Well, I think he used it on uh, Sunshine of Your Love. Oh, okay. There uh, you go. White Room. Oh, heck. Yeah. This sold for a million two hundred and seventy thousand this year in Nashville, twenty twenty three. Whoa, Nash Vegas had a little money. Number nine, Kurt Cobain. Are you kidding me right now? No. That guy from Aberdeen? It no to, way. You know, to us, to Nat and I, who are <laughs> old guys. About Curdy's age. This uh seems a little out of place. Like I get Eric Clapton and David Gilmore. Kurt yeah. Cobain? 
because that's I'm not sure why he's on this list. That's just me. Well, yeah, I don't. I didn't think a banker would buy. There's people with money. Kurt's deal, and they make the rules, not me. They really do. That's the gold. So, rule. but there we got an entry for left-handed guitar. Yes, it is left-handed. It sold for one million five hundred and eighty-seven thousand. In uh, uh, it doesn't say when. Oh, he, in 2023. Just you know, this year. he had a lot. That guitar may be associated with him, but he had quite a few guitars, didn't he? Cause oh, yeah. Those things were $299 all day oh, long in the trading musician. And, sure, and nobody cared. Yeah, 1994. Number eight is a guitar that I would love to personally look at and what hold. Is it? David Gilmore's very famous 1954 Fender Stratocaster. Ooh. The the desert sand one with oh the gold anodized pit guard. Oh, that's pretty. Do you know about this guitar? I don't. This is Strat number 0001. Are you kidding me? It has the serial number 0001. Man, that's handsome. Very early Strat. That doesn't mean it's the first one because uh, the uh, numbers were not sequential. But certainly huh. this was, you know, one of the very first... Uh, it, like it's you know pre-production. Was that his main guitar, or did he have a black with white pickguard kind of? Because he already. Oh, I guess we've only seen his um, acoustic so far. Uh, this was used on the rhythm parts for another brick in the wall. Whoa. Yeah, but it's a very. I mean, even without the David Gilmore Association, this would be a very valuable guitar. But yeah, not the one million eight hundred and fifteen thousand dollars it sold for. No, and. It, 2019. Looks like it needs to be that double whammy of yeah. 54 Strat and super famous guy who is appreciated by um, super rich dudes. Yeah. Number seven illustrates the point that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. To me, this is one of the ugliest guitars I've ever seen in my life. Hold on, man. Jerry Garcia's oh. Wolf. Oh, and now that's an ugly guitar. It's not even his red SG Tiger deal. No. No. I it's so seven switches and it's like stuff on it. Burled you yeah. know, maple <laughs> with birds inlaid birds and stuff well, on it. They just had to keep going in it's some strange for direction. Almost two million dollars. Those guys have money? Well somebody somebody did. Hmm. Uh but it's it was sold at an auction that raised money for a charity and uh that was in 2017. It sold for $1,900,000. Yeah, that's pretty cool. wild. Now, here's a guitar that I understand. John Lennon. Oh, yeah, I've heard Number that. six, John Lennon's Gibson J160E. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of and highly associated with him, you know. Oh, yeah. There's Iconic. all kinds of videos of him playing it, yeah. and it was used in all kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this was the... This is the guitar that was, you know, that weird feedback note at the beginning of I Feel Fine. It was that? That's the guitar. Is that right? It wasn't an electric, like a casino or something hollow. Nope. Huh. It was this. That's a good little nugget. Yep. Uh, it was on the Beatles' first number one hit, Love Me Do. Wow. The first U.S. number one hit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, if I could see that. What mm-hmm. what number are we on? We're not even close to number that's one. That's number six. It sold Holy for 2410000 in 2015. That's a cool guitar. Number five is a weird guitar. It sold in Qatar in 2005. It sold Strange. for $2,700,000. It is a Squire huh? Asian 
made uh yeah Fender Strat that was signed by a whole bunch of uh, celebrities like Brian May, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, David Gilmore, Jeff Beck, Mark Knopfler. But it's really it's just oh I'm sorry it's, it's a charity a, it's a Mexican made yeah a Mexican made Strat that's worth about three hundred and fifty dollars but for charity a bunch of celebrities signed it and somebody paid two million seven hundred thousand. I think they overpaid. Well, I think Maybe. they overpaid. It's a bit, a bit of an outlier, and they it is an outlier. Have a different weird. tax structure structure yeah. than other people. Number four, an iconic guitar, Eddie Van Halen. Oh, that's cool, man. Stripey Kramer. Yeah, I made uh, facsimiles. The hot for teacher Kramer. What? I, I tried to like. We got this nice shelf board and tried to cut it out. <laughs> me and Joe and a couple other guys when we were like tiny. You tried to make a copy of this guitar? Heck yeah. And somebody had some red paint. We tried to drip it over there. Wow. You, know, you actually need to mask stuff up. You can't just make a mess. Oh, You well. got to mask, mask the lines. Yeah. yeah it, it, it sold for almost $4 million. Wow. Just this year, 2023, it sold for $3,932,000. That's a very iconic guitar, very highly associated oh, with the guy. Yeah. So that makes sense. And it's, you know, very, very custom. Yeah. The auction yeah. estimate was put at a million, so it it almost quadrupled. Exceeded the, estimates. The estimate, yeah. We're getting to the top of the list here, number three. Another appearance by David Gilmore. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. His black, famous black yeah. Stratocaster. Just sustaining endlessly. Yeah. Just, uh, you know. What year is this Strat? doesn't say. Hmm. Uh, but this was the guitar that used for the comfortably numb solo. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. that. It's endless. David Gilmore's famous black Stratocaster sold for $3,975,000. Man, we're getting up there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was just in 2019. Yeah. Number two, another strange appearance by Kurt Cobain. Are you kidding me? No, you're not going to like number one. <laughs> Number two, Kurt Cobain's Smells Like Teen Spirit Fender Mustang. Oh, it had a real tie-on, like the mm-hmm. the one. Okay. It's the one used in the video, the music okay, video, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, because it had the competition stripe. Yeah. And yeah. was it left-handed? Yes. Because I wonder if... I thought he was playing guitars like that because you'd walk into the Trading Musician in 1989 and you'd get one of those for 129 bucks and flip it over. Oh, but so maybe the I no, guess he a, had access to left-handed it, ones. It is an actual left-handed huh. one. The auction estimate was eight hundred thousand. It sold for four million five hundred and fifty thousand in twenty twenty-two, just yeah. last year. That's insane. Well, that song must have inspired some greatness for you know people. Some sure of those like people. it. I don't know. The YouTube video for "Smells Like Teen Spirit" has been viewed one point five billion times. Oh snap! Somebody's got it on repeat. You know, I remember when it came out, and it was a big deal. It did yeah. kind of did kind of cleanse the palate of it, rock and roll there for a second. Yeah, I guess so. It was good. I like Curdy. He's a good guy. Do you? Yeah, I do. You're going to like number one. Kurt Cobain's Martin what? D18E. Oh, with the... The most expensive guitar to ever sell at auction at all time is Kurt Cobain's oh. wackadoodle... Where he bolted the big old Diarmon Martin D eighteen with the Diarmon pickups and the three goofball knobs on it. Yeah, that look at that. Our generation has all the money. I guess so. Huh. 
sold at auction in Los Angeles in uh, 2020. Can you guess how much this sold for? Well, no, I have no six detached what in the million. All right, people, and ten thousand dollars, <laughs> six million dollars. I think whoever's six? buying up these Kurt Cobain guitars, it's got to. It must be the same guy. Well, yeah. Can you same. imagine? Same. Where is that guitar now? Five hundred one C three tax sheltered nonprofit. This is the guitar that Kurt used. When Nirvana played MTV's Unplugged set. I'll tell you what, some video tie-in is a sure sign that your guitar is worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, you might remember uh, him playing David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World. It's ringing in my ears right now. Yeah, unfortunately. He had a little uh, distortion pedal thingy on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all like, hey, that doesn't sound like an acoustic, man. Six million dollars. That's the six million dollar left-handed. Well, it's not even left-handed. It's right-handed. He flipped it upside down. butchered it. Whatever. Which I've done. So, to answer my lovely girlfriend Lauren's question, the most expensive guitar in the world is Kurt Cobain's Martin D18E with the goofy DeArmond pickups on it that he used. Bolted in there. For the unplugged. Yeah. Well. Pretty wild. Good for him. Oh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you never know. You never know. There's guitars I think could top this list if they ever came up for sale. For example, uh, um, John Lennon's uh, 325 Rickenbacker. Oh, yeah. I bet you that guitar would sell for over $6 million. But I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, it sure would, yeah. You never know. Well, let's take a little break, and uh, we'll come right back with some questions. After these messages, we'll be right. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters searches the globe for the best coffee beans available, roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Order Apex Coffee online. Fret Files listeners can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off from apexcoffeeroasters.com. Hey, Life happens. Coffee helps. ApexCoffeeRoasters.com. It's good stuff. You know PlayersGearMusic.com is the go-to place for neck heating irons or neck presses. We've been telling you about that for a long time. But you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to PlayersGearMusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals, and sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. You got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one, and it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. Hey, Eric and Nat. Howdy. Love the show. I have a Rickenbacker 330 Mm. from the early 90s. It has been exclusively in a Rickenbacker hard case. It had been stored for a couple of years. 
no heat or humidity extremes. And when I took it out, the surface of the entire guitar felt very sticky. Hmm. I tried cleaning it, but it is, but is, it still feels sticky. I did an internet search. That's what you do immediately. And found several posts where people said the finished lacquer will soften if it is less left in a Rick hard case for too long. They said it had something to do with the off-gassing of the material in the, the cases made of. Yeah, or the glue, maybe. Yeah, anything yeah. that off-gasses. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, man. If it is the lacquer softening, do you have any suggestions on how to get the finish to harden back up? Mm. Several people suggested to put it in the sun. Huh. But I'm turning to you for advice. Thanks, Todd Richard. He's got, oh, a, yeah. he's got a helpful pronunciation guide, Cajun French pronunciation. From Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Good one. Uh, I I don't know how to, you know, uh, the the biggest thing I think would be to leave it out of the case. Mm, yep. You know, but beyond that, anything beyond that would be kind of heroic efforts that I really wouldn't recommend. That's a problem. I mean, if you wanna, if you've got a sunny window that you could leave it in, I suppose. But <clears throat> you know, that'll also fade out. Does he say what color it is? No, he didn't say. Mm. That'll fade reds, and there's uh-huh. sure a lot of red Rick three thirties. Yep. And it'll also yellow the the clear coat. So I don't know. You know, uh, shoot. Yeah, you wouldn't want to spray it with you know. Lacquer thinner or anything like that to try to get it to re-evaporate. Yeah, because it's just gum at this point. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that it's just a... Uh, I think that it's just a uh, uh, problem that happened at the Rick factory. I th- I think that for whatever reason, the lacquer that they're using doesn't just doesn't cure fully. Like, I don't know if they aren't thinning it enough or what, or if it's reacted from the case. I don't know, but I would just definitely leave it out of the case. And, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do. I don't think if anybody disagrees with that, write in, I'd love to hear your opinions. If there's something we can do for Todd, but I don't think so. I'm rooting for him on that, but that is, thanks Todd. Yeah. Thank you. Dear Eric, Eric and Nat, I have a PV Milestone 12 string from the 90s that I like to play and am attached to for nostalgic reasons, hmm. but I could never get it to sound the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. The tone controls were having effects that I could not make sense of, but recently I found the manual for the guitar online. It turns out that the tone controls turn the humbuckers into coil split mode if turned up beyond seven. Really? That's a strange thing. Now I know that the way the bridge pickup works makes sense. Oh, now that I know that, the way the bridge pickup works makes more sense, but it is now, but it now is clear that there is something wrong with the neck pickup. Hmm. Though the same distance from the strings, it is much quieter than the bridge pickups. This is especially drastic in the bass strings, and the overall sound is very thin. I am wondering whether this is likely to be a fault with the pickup itself, maybe a short circuit in the coil somewhere, 
Or do you think it is more likely that it has to do with the unusual tone circuitry? If I need to exchange the pickup, I would be most interested in swapping it for a humbucker-sized single coil as I prefer single coil pickups in general. Mm -hmm. Are there maybe any recommendations you could give for one that would be suitable for a 12-string guitar? Mm. Does the fact it's a 12-string make a difference for pickup choice at all? Thank you very much. Andy in Germany. Oh, probably like Andy, like Andreas. And Andy in Germany. Mm. From Deutschland. Yeah. Well, uh, he's got a PV in Deutschland, and the other guy's got a Rickenbacker in Cajun, Alabama. You know, if I were visiting Germany, yeah, and I met someone over there, uh-huh. and I knew they had a guitar, I would not guess that it were a PV. Not a not a PV Milestone twelve string. No, isn't that interesting? No, he's like, ah, I don't need no, any of these Hofners or nothing. You don't think about that, but I guess PVs go all over the world. Well, they're pretty durable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, they really are. Yeah. They could fall off the back of the band van and mm-hmm. just bounce down the freeway and be fine. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so what can we tell Andy in I Germany? Don't, I don't know. That neck pickup, I don't have I don't have a recommendation because what really needs to happen is someone needs to troubleshoot it. So I don't know what's going on with it. What you really need to do is, uh, I here's what I would do. I would disconnect it from the circuit and test it with a, a volt ohm meter mm-hmm. because that's really going to tell us what's going on. If you get no reading or if you get a really weird reading, then yeah, something's going on with the coil. But a humbucking PV neck pickup, I'm going to guess, is going to be in the 8 to 12K range. Pretty burly. 8 to 12k ohms. Mm -hmm. So that's the reading you should get. You might be able to find online where uh, an exact reading of what that pickup should read. But if it reads anything other than that, then there's something going on. It might have, it's a humbucker, right? It might have one dead coil, or it might have a short in there, or you might be only getting one side of the pickup. I don't know. The weird coil split mode. It's hard to say. With That's why I say someone needs to troubleshoot it and we have to figure out why it's doing what it's doing before I can give you a really solid recommendation on where to go from there. Yeah. But that's the first step I would take is disconnect it from the circuit and test it with a volt ohm meter. That'll tell you what you need to know. Um, and then you can have that pickup repaired Probably, or if you wanted to replace it, he's saying a humbucker-sized single coil. Uh huh. That really it that really narrows your choices. Um, I think Seymour Duncan makes one, but uh, that really narrows your choices. I'm not sure what what I'd recommend, and the fact that it's a twelve-string does also complicate things further. Unique guitar, unique problem. It needs to be, you know, someone needs to troubleshoot it, and then from there we could kind of figure out what needs to happen. But uh, uh, if you were, if you were to replace that pickup, I would maybe recommend getting a. You can you can put a uh, a humbucker sized P ninety in there. Mm-hmm. That's probably the direction I would steer you in. Now, what's the? You said it is a factor that it's a twelve string. Well, what, uh, how would that impact it? 
using just a normal, say, a humbucker size P90? I guess it's not. If... There's a slight physical spacing difference. I'm trying to think of, of what I even meant by that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I pointed it out. I apologize. I no, just it's, uh, to it's learn. fine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just, um, it's something that we're so limited on our choices on what kind of pickup you can put in here that uh, I don't think that it's, I don't think the fact that it's a 12 string is going to have any influence on what, what choice you could make here. But I was thinking in my mind, I was imagining uh, they have Carvin makes pickups that have 12 pole pieces. All tons of pole know. pieces, yeah. Or uh, it could also be, because it's a 12 string, it might have a pretty wide spread from outer string to outer string. And if that's the case, it might actually miss the pole pieces on some pickups made for a six string. So there's there's a few considerations. It would have a slightly different effect, yeah. But yeah. That, that's part of 12 stringiness. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a good one. That's that's a tricky uh, tricky question there. Thanks to Andy. And the Jimmy. good news for me is he's in Germany, so yeah. uh, that guitar's not going to be on my bench. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and it is strange that it's like kind of works. Yeah. yeah. And then I think that's the what he's getting at is is there something I'm missing? But well, we don't know. Good one. Thanks. Let me try this, Eric. I built one of those Ste- the Stu Mac triple aught kits about five years ago okay he built an acoustic that's cool yeah i had my eye on those myself Mm. it came with some golden age brand tuners for slotted headstocks one thing that kind of bugs me about slotted headstocks is that the tuning posts travel with within two wooden holes and don't have the benefit of sliding against the smooth metal bushings found on standard headstocks huh i guess that's right I was recently thinking of changing to a better tuner such as Waverly in the quest to find smoother tuning operation, but I'm wondering if I should keep the existing ones but finely sand within the holes and perhaps even add some wax as a lubricant. Any thoughts? I should mention that I used lacquer to finish the headstock, and I'm certain some overspray got in the holes, and I never considered sanding that out prior to installing the tuners. Thanks for your insight. Chris in Wichita, Kansas. Hmm. That's a unique one. Yeah. Yeah, you could put, you know, like a little beeswax huh. on there. That was but, a smart thought he had. Yeah. Good, he or she. Yeah. Uh, those Golden Age tuners are good. I've I've used those before, and they're, they're fine tuners. I don't think... You know, if you switch to Waverly, I don't think you're going to notice much difference unless there's like a gear ratio uh, differential. And there might be between Golden Age and the Waverly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to get a better tuner than Waverly, though. It, it certainly would be an upgrade worth doing, whether you're having trouble or not. But I don't think it's going to be a night and day difference. It's mostly just to find that smoothness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. Uh, yeah, I'm. I I like your idea of putting a little bit of wax on there. That's not. That's not a bad idea. Uh, a little bit of overspray might have got in the holes. He says yeah, they'd have to be yeah. perfectly round. And you probably wouldn't want to enlarge those holes, though. Yeah. 
Um, it's another situation where I'd want to troubleshoot it on my bench. I, you know, like for example, when you put in the tuners, did you really have to push them in? Are they a real tight right, fit yeah. in that hole? Because if that's the case, then you know there is a lot of friction. But if they aren't tight at all, then I don't think that the problem you're having is to do with friction against the wood. Yeah, yeah. some other anomalous dealy, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a good one. I like how, uh, uh, I don't know, particular that one is. Good one. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Let's try this. Hi, Eric, and probably Nat. That's a great one. I'm a long-time listener, but I do this thing where I'll binge on a podcast for a few weeks, few weeks and get caught up, then listen to something else for a while. I recently realized how far behind I was, caught up, uh, caught up on, caught up on the last thirteen months of episodes, and ordered my copy of Solid Sound. There you go. That's part of catching. That's up. a true listener. See that? He said, "Well, I guess I need to catch up all the way." My question is about pickup magnets. If I understood you correctly, on an episode I recently listened to, but may have been months ago. You said there's not really a tonal difference between the various types of Alnico, but instead just the strength that you can change, that you can charge them to. Oh, the magnetic strength, yeah. So it's Which like the does, intensity of sound. Yeah. And that does translate into a tonal difference, but yeah. I think I remember that. These, yeah. it, it really amounts to just a little bit more welly. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are your thoughts on other magnet magnet materials? For example... Copper nickel ferrite. So it'd be Q knife. Do people say that? Yeah, they do. Q knife. I don't know if I'm willing to say that. Q knife is copper, copper nickel, nickel, iron, iron, ferric, whatever. Yeah, ferrous. Yeah, where alnico is aluminum, nickel, cobalt. This is just a different amalgam. Yeah, the alnico rolls off the tongue, but yeah, yeah. Some people say alnico. I could see that. Alnico, alnico. How else could you say Q knife? Cunefe, Cunefe. It sounds like something I'm going to order at a French restaurant. That sounds pretty good. That's interesting. And, you know, I heard something about someone preferred ceramic magnets in a Strat pickup, I think. Mm. I'll have to, I shouldn't even say that without attribution. I know. I just thought that was so interesting. Um, All right. Picking back up on this question, uh, what are your thoughts on other magnetic materials? (laughs) Yeah. Um, they use those in the fender wide range humbuckers or ceramic uh is there ever a tonal difference that you can attribute solely to the magnet type mm. oh these are going to get good do you ever listen to a recording and say man that must be a 72 uh, custom with those wide range humbuckers tm <laughs> that or that guitarist tone sounds like it must be ceramic pickups. He's, I think, us, he's using my own line I, against me. I think here. he is, and that's great. Thanks for the broadcast. I like that too. Even if I do get behind on my listening, I sure appreciate it. All the best, Teflon. Oh, well, look at that, Tifon. I'm sorry. He helped. Something like Tifon. Tifon. Tifon in Alberta. Tifon in Alberta, Al- Canada. Alberta, Alberta. Well, I appreciate the question. That's a uh, good one. The Q knife magnets, the the um, the, the discerning uh, difference about those is that they're machinable. Huh. 
where Alnico is not. So they were able to machine basically a screw pole piece, a threaded pole piece that you can raise and lower that is a magnet, you know, where a lot of, like if you think about a humbucker or a, uh, a guitar that has a screw, a flathead screw top pole piece, you can almost be certain that that's just steel and it's a threaded screw, and when you adjust it up and down, it's passing th- uh, through a magnetic field from a magnet underneath the coil. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the Q-knife, that pole piece is the magnet. It's magnetic itself. And the reason that they were able to do that is because Q-knife, you can machine threads into it, where Alnico, you cannot. It's like the ductility or malleability yeah. of copper and mm-hmm. iron. huh? And that pickup that you're talking about, the wide-range humbucker, was developed by Seth Lover for Fender in the early 70s. They hired him to, uh, they felt like they needed a humbucking um, pickup to compete with their main competitor, Gibson. Right, so they hired Seth Lover to develop that pickup. But uh, what they ended up with was a very Fender-sounding humbucker. Hmm. Wide range. It has good um, thumpy bass, and it has nice, clear highs. A little jangle. Yeah, so it's a Fender-ish sounding humbucker. Hmm. Uh, part of the reason that pickup sounds the way it does, though, is because it is such a huge coil. It has a wide field. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's a much larger pickup than a standard humbucker. So there's a lot of things going on with that pickup uh, that that attribute to the way it sounds other than the magnetic pole pieces, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, the the steel base plate underneath the coil is a huge factor. Uh, it has the um, it has the effect of adding to the magnetic mm-hmm. field yep. of the overall pickup, right? So it's hard to say. It's hard to like compare and listen to a pickup that has Alnico pole pieces. And compare that to a pickup that has Q-knife pole pieces because they're very different pickups. Yeah, different construction. There's different construction, very different. So it's hard for me to say, well, these magnets sound like that and these magnets sound like this because it's more than just the magnet going on. Uh, Maybe somebody out there is making like a standard Tele bridge pickup that has Q-knife magnets, but I don't know, probably, because there's one of everything nowadays. But uh, in my mind, you know, I don't have like this clear, very solid uh, uh, description of the sonic differences of those two magnets Mm -hmm. compared to each other. When it comes to ceramic, I do. Ceramic uh, is a more powerful magnetic material, and it has a natural compression to it, and to me, they sound kind of harsh. Yeah. They're not as musical-sounding, not as smooth-sounding. They're a harsher sound with kind of shrill highs. That's to my ear. If you like ceramic pickups, go for it. A lot of guys do. Metal guys love yeah. ceramic pickups. Uh, they want that bite magnet the pickups front end of the know. tone. Yeah. So yeah, there is a difference between the tonal aspects of different magnetic materials, but you have to consider the overall construction of the pickup 
as well, because that is just as much, if not more, of a factor in how the overall tone sounds. That was a good one for learning. I like that one. Well, thanks, Tifan. Let me try this. Hi, Eric and Nat. After three months, I'm finally back playing gigs after my shoulder, actually my proximal humerus, oh no, was smashed thanks to my son's dog. Oh, this is Andy down uh, in Australia. Deniloquent. Oh, yeah. his dang proximal humerus. Ooh. He smashed his shoulder. Oh. And it was he sent me an x-ray, a picture of his x-ray, <laughs> and there's like nine screws holding his arm oh, he shattered holding his it. arm on. Well, the distal humor is probably okay. Yeah, and that's the level of uh, attention we should get out of these letters. That's good. Okay, the, uh, broke his dang shoulder. I'm currently playing my 41 Martin. Wow, double lot 17, which in, which in earlier Fret Files episodes featured in the horror stories segments. Mm. Since purchasing this poor old girl, I've always been put off a little by the oversized, non-original bridge. Would really appreciate your thoughts on whether I should take the bridge off and bring it back to a width more fitting with the guitar or leave well alone. My knowledge of timber isn't great, but I feel it could be Brazilian. Mm. Hmm. Being a total vintage geek, the look of the big bridge has always made me feel uneasy, but it plays and sounds nice. I realize there will be some touch-up if I narrow it down, but this guitar has been refinished and altered all throughout its long life, so that really doesn't bother me. Yeah. Can a narrower bridge result in a better tone, and should I do it or leave well alone? Take care, fellas. Andy at Wick Street Guitars, Deniloquin, Australia. Thanks, Andy. That's a good one. Down there in Nashvilleiquin. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, he sent me pictures of this guitar, and it looks, I think, it looks great. Yes, it's slightly oversized, but it's not... Oh, it's not a big old mustache thing It's not there. egregious. Oh, and it sounds good. It's a well-made bridge that looks good, uh, and it looks like it's Brazilian rosewood. Mm -hmm. I would be tempted to leave that alone personally now martin. you'll have really picky you know martin aficionados who would disagree with that and say oh you have to get the bridge with exactly the right footprint mm -hmm. eh, you could you could but here's here's the metric that i would use do you like the way the guitar sounds as it currently is yep. you know because I would just leave it alone. I think it looks great. Honestly, I think it looks great. Now, I haven't seen it in person. You just sent me some nice pictures. but um, And it is a little oversized, but not, you know, uh, not by a huge margin. Not egregiously so, huh? Yeah. that's think, I think that's what right. I said. I think you did. Yeah. So that's, I would, I'm like 60-40 saying leave it. Yeah. Well, and I, I would guess he's leaning to that, uh, employing the phrase, leave well enough alone, you know. Yeah. Saying that's a value he holds. It's like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. The problem with replacing it is that uh, you, it may be, it may, <clears throat> it may be hard to touch up that finish mm -hmm. um, to where it looks unnoticeable. So if the size of the bridge bothers you now, 
after you do the repair, you might be bothered by <laughs> yeah. this little shadow but, that that surrounds yeah. the bridge that would be, yeah. because you couldn't get the finish so to match. You exactly. still wouldn't have a perfect bridge yeah. in a way. So don't chase perfection if you're happy with how the guitar is because I think it looks great. Yeah. Well, that's great. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. If you want to participate in the show. And you should. Yeah, you really should. Go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. You can click on the contact link and fire off your missive. Yeah. We'll use that as part of the show, question or comment. You can also call or text 757-774-8482. We haven't had any calls to play for a while, so you ought to call. Call in. You'll be the envy of your friends and family. You'll hear your voice on a... A major broadcast. On a minor <laughs> uh, podcast. I think we're I think we're number one seventy one on uh, the overall the, the uh, in New Zealand uh, on the music interviews podcast charts. Yeah. So you'll be the envy of all your friends. You'll hear your voice on, on the show if you call or text. Oh, well, if you call, leave a message. Yeah, seven, that's what we're rooting for here. Seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. Thank you very much. Happy holidays, and we'll that's talk to right. you next time. Bye bye. Bye.